Gee, that's tasteable. I like that quote. I remember the first meal that I ever shared with Matthew. We were dating. We ha- by dating, I mean this was our second date. Coffee went well, so we decided to go for dinner. And we went to this great little Italian place. I'll give it a shout out, Cozy Cucina. So good, so good. And we were eating, and we were having great conversation, and I you know, was enjoying my time with him, but I, um, I like a theology I can taste. I love food. And so I was enjoying my meal, and I was looking at his meal and thinking, that looks really good. Like that pasta dish, I've never tried that. And I remember I kept looking at it, and he wasn't, he wasn't getting the hint that I would like to try a bite of that. And so finally I said, can I have a bite of your food? And I think he tells it, it, uh, that I, I asked the question as I was putting the fork in his, my, reaching over with my fork and putting it in his dish and enjoying that pasta, and it was tasty. And he was kind of uncomfortable and like laughed a little bit, and he was like, yeah, I just don't usually share. And I learned that day that Matthew does not share food. <laughs> Although that's not true anymore. After being married to me for 10 years and having two children, he will gladly share with you. So we've changed him. I enjoy uh, tasting and seeing that God is good. How do you dine? So I'm curious, just to get us thinking about food in our new series, Dining with Jesus, I want to know how you dine. How many of you are like me? And if there's variety at the table, you want to try it all. How many of you are sharers? Okay, how many of you were like, I'm sorry, I ordered my food on purpose and I don't want anyone digging in? Okay, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. What about what you eat? How many of you um, are adventurous? You like to try new foods and new restaurants and new places. How many of you, it's like when you make a good meal or you find a good meal in Des Moines at a restaurant, you go back over and over. You know what you like and you like what you like. Yes, okay. Um, how about timing? I was thinking about timing and how um, timing has changed for meals since I've become a parent. We eat at like 5.30 p.m. Otherwise, we'd have an entire snack, you know, dinner and dinner. So we do early dinner. How many of you were like, I want to eat right away, early dinner, early bedtime? How many of you were like, you know, European style or the rest of the world style and you eat at like 7.30, 8 p.m.? Oh, both. Okay, yeah. <laughs> second dinner. First and second dinner. I, like, I appreciate that. I respect that. That was my brother. We like food in our family. Um, okay, question of who. Who do you dine with? Are you like, uh, I want to dine with my best friend or my spouse, and that's about it, you know? I got to be dragged to a meal with other people. Any of you want to admit that? It's okay. So, yes, appreciate that. Yep. How many of you are like, I am like, I'll go, I'll go with, to a party. Um, if I'm going to make a good meal, I want to gather, I'm going to invite the neighbors over. We had a Memorial Day. Um, my brother cooked on our like Blackstone, cooked brunch, and we just kept adding, who's here? Like random people are coming over, neighbors, family. Um, how many of you like that? You like a full table? Okay, this is good. I like it. How, uh, how someone dines or what they enjoy eating or how they eat you, uh, tells you a lot about a person. You can learn a lot about someone with share, by sharing a meal with them or by 
watching them enjoy a meal or watching some of their habits and patterns um, around a meal. And so that's why we're jumping into stories of Jesus dining with people uh, because there's something for us here, something to learn. As we watch Jesus eat with people and we watch who he eats with and when he eats and how he eats and what he eats, we will learn more and more about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him um, and to gather around the table with our friends. So as we've been talking and just leaving the kind of deconstruction series, we really prayed about what, God, what are you, what's next? And it felt like um, this is an opportunity for us to kind of rebuild and remind ourselves of what the foundation is that we, uh, that we live on. So even through deconstruction, all these things get pulled out and taken out. I, I'm, still, I'm still imagining that Jenga game that's you know, crumbled everywhere. But that foundation is Jesus. And so we're hoping that over the next weeks, throughout the summer, as we talk about Jesus and, and the meals that he had and shared with many people, um, that it will, it will build that, that foundation and make that sturdy foundation of who is Jesus actually? Who is he and what does he really care about? And who does he really love and what does he really do and how do we follow him? So we're gonna talk about meals and we're gonna dine with Jesus for many weeks to come. And I want, before I jump in uh, to the dinner that we're gonna talk about today, I wanna just give a little context piece. And I acknowledge that there are lots of different folks represented in the room and different cultures and backgrounds in the room, which is one of the things I love about Ashworth. Uh, but I, I do wanna say that it, as we think about meals in Jesus' time, the culture um, was so different in terms of meal time and meals and shared meals together. When I think about typical American or stereotypical American eating, I think about portion size, right? For like quantity over quality, baby, you know, buffet all the way. Um, I think about convenience, that Americans are very much about convenience when it comes to food. I remember um, being in Ethiopia and just wanting to get some food to go because we were on our way somewhere. And I, they were laughing at me. We were going to get in the minibus, and they're like, don't eat your food in, the, in this minibus where there's a lot of other people. That's weird, and it's going to be smelly, and like, they're going to think you're weird, and you're already white, you know? And <laughs> so then we had this whole conversation about how they think it's hilarious that Americans eat like on the go. They're like, you eat in your car, you know? A meal is something that you should treasure and share and enjoy and savor and um, experience with the people around you, with other, uh, other people. And to eat with someone in, in, the, in this culture where Jesus, uh, where we're gonna see these meals take place with Jesus, to eat with someone was to become or to be kind of cherished friends or family. Um, it was this intimate experience. It probably looked a lot more like what we saw um, this morning on this video. So remember that. Remember that context and that lens of meals and meal time. I know there's some of you in here who are like, mm-hmm, I know about Americans and that their rush to eat and their convenience of eating. Um, but in this culture, it was so different. Meals were so important. Um, and so my question is, who is Jesus dining with today? And let's jump in uh, to this story. So we're going to be in the book of Luke. And in this, 
uh, so far in Luke, Jesus has been really busy doing a lot of different things. He has been calling disciples to follow him. Um, he's been doing a lot of healing. There was the demon-possessed man that he set free. Um, there was the man with leprosy that he touched and was healed. And then right before this story, uh, this meal that Jesus has, he's been in a home. And this was the home where uh, many people were coming to hear from Jesus. And some friends brought a man who was paralyzed. And they tore open the roof and lowered him down uh, so that this paralyzed man could get healed by Jesus. And so that's what happened right before this moment. It says that he left there. Jesus left that house. Uh, in Luke 5, 27, it says, after this, so after he leaves this house, he went out, Jesus went out, and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. So we have, we know this dinner is with Levi. Uh, we've got Levi, the tax collector, and I just, again, more context, but a tax collector in Jesus' day is not the same way that we would understand, you know, IRS uh, or tax collectors today. Uh, maybe for some of you, might be as ha hated as much, but uh, we, you know, we typically respect our IRS tax workers. Um, but in, in Jesus' day, a tax collector would have been someone, one, who worked for the Roman government. It was a Jewish person working for the Roman government. So they were essentially working for the enemy because Jews right now in Israel were um, occupied by the Romans. And so they were living in kind of enemy-occupied territory, and they had kind of toll taxes um, where, uh, on imports and exports. So Levi's job was to collect a tax on people's imports and exports as they went along a road or as they um, went about the town or sold things, um, he was gonna collect their taxes and he was gonna give a portion of it to the Roman government. So he's giving a portion of this to the enemy, right? He's, he's working on behalf of the enemy, of his enemy and his people's enemy. And tax collectors at this time would pay themselves whatever they wanted. So they would charge a certain amount of toll tax and then they would take whatever was left off the top. They'd pay the Roman government what the Roman government was asking for, and then they would just take whatever additional they felt like. And so they were known as folks who were getting rich off of other people's uh, money. Uh, there were swindlers. You know, they were, think they were thought of as selfish, as traitors who were working for the enemy um, and selfish, uh, making themselves rich off of, one, the enemy, and two, um, their own peoples um, and taking advantage of their own people. So these were not good dudes, okay? And you can imagine how hated they were. People did not like Levi. People did not like tax collectors. They were considered evil. They were considered traitors. And I didn't know this until, to, until this week, studying this passage. They were considered unclean. Even though they were Jews, they were considered unclean. They weren't allowed to be at the synagogue um, because of the behavior that they engaged in in their tax collecting. So in this story, we see Levi in his workplace, at his tax booth. And in reading some um, commentaries and some people's uh, ideas of this story, it was interesting to think... Um, Many people were saying they thought Levi was actually using Jesus and the crowds that were following him to his advantage. So he's like, ooh, there's a crowd of people. 
I'm gonna go set my, they have these little mobile tax booths. I'm gonna go set my booth up and every person that walks by me on this road, I'm gonna tax, you know? And so he'd probably been doing this. There's crowds surrounding and following Jesus. So it's likely that Levi had been following Jesus himself in his own way with this tax booth. And as people would come, the crowds would come and, and walk by him, he would tax them. And so he's been hearing about Jesus and he's been hearing scripture. Um, which is interesting because I had mentioned he was not allowed in the synagogue. So he's now hearing things and learning things as he's doing his job and collecting his taxes and being the traitor that he is. And then in this moment, in this story, here comes the man that Levi's been following around. It says Jesus left this house where he'd just done a miracle healing this paralyzed man he comes out and he begins to walk. And Le I just imagine Levi has been listening and watching what's going on at the house. And now he sees that Jesus is walking towards him, towards his toll booth. And I wondered, I'm like, I wonder if he was gonna tax him. You know, like, okay, I'm gonna ask Jesus for this tax. But instead they have this interaction. He walks right up to Levi and he has this very brief interaction with him. As the scripture continues, it says that Jesus said, follow me. And Levi got up and he left everything and he followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. What? This is so confusing to me. One, I can't believe how eager Levi was to get up and follow Jesus and to say yes, to leave his job. It says he left everything. So this man who is a bad dude, he's a traitor, he is a swindler, you know, he's been all about getting rich, so he cares about stuff, he cares about money. He's suddenly said, like, I'm gonna leave everything because he's had this one interaction. Jesus said, come and follow me, and he does. And then not only does he say, yes, I'll follow you, but he invites him to his house, and then he says, I'm gonna throw a, a banquet, I'm gonna throw a party and invite a bunch of people, come to my house. That's wild, right? And so I began to wonder why. Why was he compelled by that invitation from Jesus? And so quickly and so immediately. But like I said, I think it's clear that Levi would have been following Jesus around, taking advantage of the crowds around him, collecting taxes from them, and I realized in talking with some of our friends at Message Community, Levi would have been outside of the home where the, the paralytic was just healed. Levi would have seen and heard that interaction going on, right? That says there were crowds of people that were watching in, that were listening. If Levi's got his booth set up right there, he's probably paying attention to what's going on. And Jesus just healed this man and maybe even more so than the physical healing, in that story, Jesus says to the man who is paralyzed, your sins are forgiven. And this is kind of a scandalous idea. Your sins are forgiven. It was him revealing that he was God, and it was revealing that he had the power and the authority to forgive sins. So now imagine Levi. If Levi's just heard this, Levi's been noticing Jesus, following Jesus, and now Jesus has noticed Levi. And maybe Jesus noticed him all along. But in this moment, he notices Levi. He goes to him and he says, Levi, I want you to follow me. And Levi says, okay, 
I'm going to leave everything. And I think he's remembering what just happened. Your sins are forgiven. I'm sure he's thinking, I am a sinful man. I am a swindler. I'm a traitor. You know, I am not a good human. This guy is going to forgive me and all my coworkers and friends. And so he throws this banquet and he invites all of his friends. It says that he invited all these coworkers, all these other tax collectors around the city, and he invited um, other sinners. Sinners was in quotes. So there, this, is a, this is probably a pretty fun party. There's a lot of good stuff going on here. You got all the folks that nobody else will associate with or hang out with, and they're packed into Levi's house. And Jesus is there with him at Levi's house, and they're having a meal. And Levi and his friends and the tax collectors and sinners were not the only ones there. Of course, the disciples were there following Jesus. He had just called a few disciples, so they were with him. And of course, the, uh, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were also watching in. They were coming to see what was going on and what Jesus was doing. And so as the scripture continues in Luke 5, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we have these Pharisees and the teachers of the law that were kind of looking on or somehow some way involved in this dinner at Levi's house. And of course, they're talking trash about Jesus. And they're saying, what is wrong with this guy? Why is he eating with these people? Why does he eat with um, these terrible, evil, traitor um, people? And I, I had this moment this week as I was reading this story over and over where I'm like, yeah, the Pharisees are awful. Like, they're so judgmental. And then I realized, I'm like, if I put myself in their shoes, if I was a religious leader or a Pharisee at the time, I probably would have been saying the same thing. Like, Jesus, really? Why are you eating with these folks? In fact, in our discussion this week um, with our message community about this passage, I was saying, man, this, this story of Levi is hard for me because I think it's easy for me to see why Jesus would wanna have a meal with a woman who has a bad reputation. It's easy for me to see um, why Jesus would eat and feed the poor and the marginalized, people who've been kind of products of their environment, who've experienced hard things. It's easy for me to see that Jesus would prioritize those folks and eat with them, right? But Jesus is eating with the enemy? Jesus is eating with the person who is siding with the oppressor? You know, he's eating with someone who's causing injustice even in this town, uh, in people's lives, and he's choosing to eat with him and all his friends? So truly, I think I would have been like the Pharisees and I would have been saying, Jesus, why do you eat with these sinners and tax collectors? These are not the kind of people that you should eat with. And as I continue to think about myself in the Pharisees' shoes and, and, and to be fair, thinking about their perspective is, like I said earlier, um, Levi and the tax collectors would have been considered unclean, like ceremonially unclean. 
And so in some ways, even the Pharisees are just like, oh, you can't go to their house because they're unclean. And if you eat food with them, you're going to be considered unclean as well. So you absolutely not, you not only are these the kind of people to not eat with, but it's not okay because if you go eat with these unclean folks, you're going to become unclean. You'll be defiled by them. You know, if we let these guys into the synagogue, they're going to defile the synagogue with all their corruption and their sin and their sickness, right? In that day, uh, before Jesus came on the scene, if something was unclean, if something clean interacted with it, it would become unclean. So, for example, Jesus healed a leper just a couple stories back in Luke. There were leper colonies, leper uh, on the edges of town, and it sounds terrible um, and awful, and there was all kinds of oppression around lepers at that time, but also it was practical because they were contagious. They were considered unclean, and so it was like, well, we can't touch the lepers because we can't be around the lepers because if we touch them, we will become unclean. Before Jesus came on the scene, unclean created unclean. And when Jesus comes on the scene, one of these first miracles that he does is he touches a leper and he sees them healed. And guess what? Jesus does not get leprosy. Jesus is not made unclean because he's with unclean folks. And in this story, I think he's showing the Pharisees, this is what you've believed, that you can't be with these folks. You can't have dinner. You can't have a meal with these guys because they're unclean. Guess what? I'm going to go in their house and I'm changing the game. I am clean, and they're gonna be clean too. And I love them in all of their uncleanliness. Because what does he say to them as they ask this question? It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's not the clean who need a doctor, it's the unclean who need a doctor. He's saying, I came for Levi. I came for all of his friends. I came for all of the kind of ill repute. I came for this crowd. I came for the sick because the sick need a doctor. And Levi, it's clear in this moment, knows that he is sick because he says, yes, Jesus, come to my house. Yes, I'm in need. And he receives forgiveness and we see this interaction with Jesus here And I wonder what the Pharisees are thinking, and they're having their mind maybe changed or shifted in this moment. Or maybe they're feeling like, wait, this is weird. Jesus came for them, but not us. But if they really understood and listened to what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I came for you too. Because y'all aren't as healthy as you think you are. You don't think you're sick. You don't think you're unclean, but you are. A doctor is no good if you're not sick. And I was laughing with Matthew. This is not really funny. This example is funny, but I was laughing with Matthew this weekend because I, he is not this way, but I am. Do you ever avoid the doctor because you don't want to know what's wrong with you? Do you ever avoid the doctor because you don't know that you're sick, but you might be sick and you don't want to know? So I've been avoiding the dentist for a little while because I know I have a cavity and I have a history of being cavity free. So I don't want to know that I have a cavity and I'm going to have to go in and get a filling. But we really do that, don't we? And we do that spiritually, I think, too. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. 
we do the right religious things, we show up in the right religious places, we kind of act in this religious way, we follow these religious rules, but deep down there's this thing in us that knows we're sick, that knows we're in need of something more. And the good news that we see here in this story, the good news is that's who Jesus came for. So we have freedom, there's no shame. Like you're sick, good. Jesus wants you, you know? And if you're not sick, he didn't come for you. So right now, if you're sick, that's freedom. That's good news. Amen? Amen. That means we don't have to avoid the doctor. We don't have to avoid the dentist, right? We don't have to avoid our sickness. We can engage with it with Jesus because we know that he came for the sick. He came to heal and to mend and restore those places. And so I love Jesus' little, I see it as like this little mini sermon here. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And it's this sermon for everyone in the room. It's for the Pharisees who think they're healthy. It's for the tax collectors and sinners who've been called unhealthy and sick and sinners their whole lives. Jesus preaches this little sermon. And the picture I had was like, you've got a house full of people who are not welcomed at the synagogue, who are unclean and not allowed to be in the synagogue. And now the synagogue has come to Levi's house. Jesus is at Levi's house. And now his house has become this place of worship with all these sick people who are hearing from Jesus, interacting with Jesus and learning from Jesus and experiencing his love and his healing. So what's the bottom line? What's Jesus, what's the point Jesus is making here? Jesus wants repentant people, not righteous people. He wants repentant people, not righteous people. He says, I came to call the sick and not righteous. And as I imagine this kind of moment in Levi's house and all these people gathered around and eating and sharing, remember what I talked about, meals um, at the beginning of this message was the, it, I imagine there's this lengthy meal. There's all kinds of food. People are savoring it. They're talking. They're connecting. They're looking at each other. They're intent and listening to Jesus. And I imagine him listening to them. He went to their house. He wants to know about them. He wants to know their stories and who they are. And I imagine that as they connect with Jesus, I just imagine that they begin to kind of confess they begin to repent of the wrong things they have done because they're with him, because they're in his presence, because they're sharing a meal and there's this moment of connection and this moment of intimacy and this kindness and love of Jesus being in their home with them, in their, on their turf. It reminded me of um, just a few weeks ago, Jack, uh, my son, is about to turn four, and he's just in a stage where he's just very rowdy all the time and very wild. And when he gets there, he can't calm down. So he's like saying all kinds of things about poop and whatever, <laughs> body parts and running around the house and hollering, and he just gets wild and crazy, and he doesn't realize, you know, and he's, he gets aggressive and I was so mad at him. I was just so mad at him this night. And I was yelling at him, and I'm like, Jack, you cannot act that way. This is not working, you know, and this will not work, and you, this has to stop, and, you know, just on him. And then it was bedtime, and he's laying down. Obviously, he's not falling asleep. Pearl's passed out, and he's still wide awake just laying there. And I thought, okay, 
this is my chance. I should go in and like connect with him because I was mean earlier and hollering at him. So I go in and I lay down next to him and I don't say anything about all the behavior that he's exhibited for like the few hours before, but I just lay down next to him and I rub his back trying to get him to sleep and I'm rubbing his back and I'm playing with his hair, which he loves. And he's just looking into my eyes and I'm looking in his. Matthew's always like, gross, you guys. But I love Jack and he loves me even when he is crazy and naughty. And I'm looking in his eyes and I'm like, Jackie, I love you. I'm so glad you're my son. I love you so much. And he was like, oh. I love you too, mom. And we just had this sweet little moment and we lay there and it's quiet for a while and I'm rubbing his back. And then he goes, mom, I'm sorry I was being rowdy. I was like, oh, thank you, Jackie. He was like, mom, I'm sorry I was calling you bad names, which I was like, I didn't hear any bad names, so I don't know. <laughs> and then he's like, mom, I'm so sorry that I've been mean to Spony, Sloan, his little cousin. And we hadn't seen her for days, you know? But he's now thinking about all of his little sins from days past, you know? And he's confessing all of it. And he's just, he's just laying it out there. I just let him. And he just tells me all these things he's sorry about. And it just made me laugh, but it made me think about how we are with Jesus. How we, it's a, it, there's a scripture that says the kindness of God leads us to repentance. And I feel like that's what was happening around that dinner table. It's like Jesus wasn't calling these guys out on all their stuff, but he was eating with them. He was noticing them. He was loving them by his presence. And in his presence, I imagine that they began to just say, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry that I've been a traitor. I'm sorry that I have swindled money from people uh, who don't have it. And I just imagine this moment of repentance and connection and relationship with Jesus. And I, I learned this week that I do love this story and I do love Levi um, in this passage. And I think part of it is because we just have gone through the series on deconstruction and I think we can so clearly see the deconstructed Jesus here, right? The way Jesus is, with Levi and the tax collectors and sinners, the way he eats with them, the way he scandalously goes to their home, the way he engages with them, the way he calls Levi to be a disciple, him of all people, this is not the Jesus that we have constructed in America. This isn't legalistic, fundamentalist Jesus. This isn't separatist Jesus. This isn't holier than thou Jesus. I only hang out with the clean folks, Jesus. All the ways that we've tried to construct Jesus are deconstructed in this story. And we see Jesus scandalously different than what we think naturally. And so to sum up this passage and this story of this meal with Levi, I ask the question, how does Jesus dine? I asked you, how do you dine? How does Jesus dine? Well, in this story, we see that Number one, he eats with the wrong crowd. Wrong is in quotes. And I love in the, in the passage at the very beginning of this story, there was one small thing I noticed, and it's that it says when Jesus left that house, he saw Levi sitting at his tax collector booth, and he went to him. And I wondered about Jesus seeing him. And I imagine even that Jesus saw that there was more to him than this tax collector and that he has a story and that he has a soul and a heart. And so he invites him to be his disciple and invites him and all his friends to eat 
with him at Levi's house. He eats with the wrong crowd. These are not the religious folks, the Pharisees. These aren't the people who are respected. These are the people who would have been hated in that community. The tax collectors, the corrupt, the sinners. Jesus has a very different guest list than we do and than often our churches do. Two, Jesus dines by going to them. He goes to them. I love that he, now I know that Jesus really didn't have a house to take people to, but Jesus goes to them. He doesn't say, come with me, come over. He says, come with me, I'm going to your house. He does that with Zacchaeus, right? I'm, come with me and I'm gonna go to your house today for dinner, right? He tells Levi, come, follow me. And Levi says, yeah, come to my house. And Jesus delightedly follows Levi into his house on his turf. He eats Levi's food. He eats that unclean food with unclean people, right? And what does all that do? It removes all these barriers. I think about even like the, all, the, all of Levi's friends, all the tax collectors and the sinners that came, would they have come if somehow Jesus would have been like, come to the synagogue and I'll let you in. You know, I'll break the rules and I'll let you in. Would they have come? Maybe not. They probably are there because they're comfortable at Levi's home. That's their hangout. That's the place where they spend time. That's where they eat their meals. And Jesus goes to them. And I love that. I think often we think about inviting people to our church or to our places of comfort. But Jesus pushes us. I see in this story, he's saying, go to them. Go to your friends. Go to their houses. Eat their food. Get to know their spaces and their people. And even when you go to someone's house, don't you just get such a better idea of who they are? Um, You get to know them. You get to see where they live, see what they care about. You get to see real life too, right? You can hang out with someone in a coffee shop and you don't get to see real life necessarily, right? But you come to my house, one of my kids is gonna be naked. You know, one of the dogs is pooped on the floor somewhere. Like you have real life and it's not cute always. And there's something about Jesus going to somebody's house and seeing real life with them, their, their kind of authentic experience of life. And then three, I love that he leads the conversation to a deeper place. Again, I think we struggle to do this when we have meals with people, don't we? It's so easy. I realize it. I had a friend of mine, um, an Indian friend of mine, tell me, she's like, man, white people love to talk about the weather. She's like, I feel like we talk about the weather all the time or sports. You know, I'm like, yeah, we do. And I think there's an easy way for us to just get together, have a meal, and keep things really light and, and talk about, you know, uh, the weather, and sports and whatever, whatever's in the news, but not get to us and to listen to each other and to see each other and to really connect our hearts. And Jesus does that, right? He gives this mini sermon and he's calling people out like, hey, I came for uh, the unclean. I didn't come for the righteous, you know, and he takes their conversation to another level. And so I think uh, we, as people who have meals with people and, um, and each other, and new friends. Like, we have to be willing to go to the harder places or the deeper places and have conversations that are more than our kind of Iowa nice surface level. And then finally, I just think you see in this story that his presence at the table transforms Levi and probably that whole community. We don't really know, um, but it's implied that all these people who are there that day, who are eating the meal at Levi's house with Jesus are 
being transformed by him, that, G- that Levi follows him, and then all these guys do too. And I'm thinking like the next day there must have been a lot less you know, tax collector booths around town where they weren't you know, taking advantage of them in the same ways that they were before. So my exhortation as I close this morning is um, I, want, I long to be this, and I long for us as a church to be this, to be people who dine like Jesus and who dine with Jesus. And so my question this morning is, who are you eating with? And I wonder, I mean, this is hard. This is hard. It's like the rubber meets the road, and will we actually do it? But like, who's the person that no one likes at work? Everyone else, you know, everyone else goes to lunch, and you like definitely don't invite that person. What would it be like to invite them for a meal or to ask them to have lunch? Who's the family member that people don't tell about the event that's coming up, you know? What is it, what would it be like if you hung out with that person? Who is overlooked in your community? Who's overlooked in your workplace? Who's overlooked in your kid's school? Who's overlooked in our church? Because that does happen. Who's not particularly liked? Who's not welcomed in? Who do you notice that seems like they're not quite connecting? Who are you eating with? This summer, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to barbecue, to grill out and do all kinds of um, meals. Would you invite somebody that you would not normally invite? Or would you go to an event where you know people will be that you would not normally hang out with? And then two, Jesus wants to dine with you. Who are you dining with? And then Jesus wants to dine with you. The foundation is this, that we first dine with Jesus, that we are like Levi, and as we're with Jesus, we're transformed by him. And then we get to invite other people to our table to meet Jesus. Jesus comes where he's invited, and so invite him again into your home, into your work, into your heart, into your mess and your most real self and your thoughts and your feelings. And Jesus wants to dine with you.